Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from Ezekiel 37, 11 through 14. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So if you weren't here last week, we started a new series on the Holy Spirit, uh, the third member of the Trinity. And uh, I didn't really do this last week, but let's, let's be honest with each other. Sometimes when people talk about the Holy Spirit, it gets kind of weird. Um, so that's even part of why we're doing this series. But uh, there's, a, there's a reason why so many people, including uh, Christians, uh, just don't spend a lot of time thinking about, talking about, or studying the Spirit, and maybe you've even like met that person who only talks about the Spirit, and you get like Jesus camp vibes, and you're like, no, not today, I'm okay, I understand. Maybe you're here, and you're not yet a Christian, like, you're, you're just trying to figure this out, and this is all kind of overwhelming anyway, because you're still like thinking about who's Jesus, and what's, what's He about, and now you're learning, okay, there's also this Holy Spirit person, again, that, that's a lot. Or maybe you're here and you grew up in a church or in a tradition where the Holy Spirit was, was everything. It was all anybody talked about. And only like real Christians or, or, or real faithful people ever experienced His presence of power in, in, in specific or unique ways. And so you spent your young Christian life uh, trying to coax the Holy Spirit into doing anything uh, in and through you to prove to yourself that you are actually a child of God, okay? Either way and anywhere in, in between, we, we all come to this conversation with our own baggage. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take this morning and show us something really, really important about the Holy Spirit. Before we do anything else or learn anything else about Him, we're early in this series. Here's what I want us to see. The Holy Spirit is good news for you. If you learn anything today, I hope it's this. The, the Holy Spirit is good news for you. So whatever questions or anxieties or fears or doubts you bring, I want to start with this. Okay, the Holy Spirit is good news for you. And we see this in one of the most surprising places in our text today, which is Ezekiel 37. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there now. Ezekiel, use your table of contents. Ezekiel chapter 37 is where we're going to be this morning. Now, because we're just kind of jumping into Ezekiel, let me tell you a little bit about him. So Ezekiel's one of the prophets of Israel. Uh, he's actually considered one of the major prophets, uh, along with Jeremiah and Isaiah, meaning that his uh, book is really, really long. So there's 48 chapters in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, and, and Ezekiel, just so you know, has a really, really hard job. Okay? God has called him to do something really, really difficult. He has called Ezekiel to speak to his people on, his, on, on God's behalf at basically their lowest point ever as, as a people. 
their absolute low moment. And, and I mean that. And if, you've, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that when I say this is their lowest moment, like that's really saying something because <laughs> there are a lot of low moments along the way. But worse than Egypt, okay, worse than the nation dividing uh, in a civil war, worse than all of that, this moment, Ezekiel's moment, is the absolute lowest, worst moment of the Old Testament, period. And you actually see it in how Ezekiel introduces his book. So you're not there right now, but if you were to turn to Ezekiel 1, you would, it starts like this. In the 30th year, okay, I think Ezekiel's giving us his age there, so in his, in his 30th year. In the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, which that's about 593 BC is what we're looking at here. As I was among the exiles by the Kebar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions from God. So we see it right away. Ezekiel is an exile. And remember with me what that means. That means that he, along with thousands of other people from his homeland, were forcibly removed from the kingdom of Judah and marched hundreds of miles, and whoever survived that process was relocated to Babylon. Now, we aren't really sure where the Kabar Canal was. He specifically mentions that, but we think that it was not far from what we today would call Baghdad in Iraq. He's roughly in that area. He's a captive. He is a prisoner of war. The Babylonian Empire, the superpower at the time, probably about five years before he writes anything down, had invaded Ezekiel's home. They had killed his people, okay, family and friends most likely. They had destroyed God's temple brick by brick. Nothing was left to stand. Uh, and, and, and Ezekiel will never, ever, ever see his homeland again. He, he won't. And I, it's like, I know it's sometimes hard for us to get our minds into that space. So, and I don't want to traumatize you, but think for a minute what that would be like. Think for a minute, okay, a, a, a superpower invades our country, destroys the Washington, D.C., burns the whole thing to the ground, kills most of us, and then takes our, our children and our young people back to another country in order to make them forget who they are and where they come from. Okay, that's, that's where Ezekiel is. If you can put your mind there, then you understand where these people are. And, and, and frankly, that's like the easy part. That's just the historical stuff, okay? If you put this story in its biblical place, in its biblical context, this moment gets even lower than that because the exile is the undoing of God's promises to Israel. I don't know any other way to like put it. For generations, God has been warning his people through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Hosea and Micah and, all, and all the other prophets that if his people continue to disobey him through outright idolatry, like worshiping other gods, through things like child sacrifice, to oppression of one another, the vulnerable and the poor, that this would happen. God said, if you do these things, this is what will happen. You will be sold into captivity. And of course, nobody listened. They killed the prophets instead. And they just kept doing what they were doing until this moment. And here's how you know this moment is so low. Because think with me, the basic storyline of the Old Testament. God picks a family. He finds Abraham and Sarah. He creates a nation through them that becomes enslaved in Egypt. He rescues them from Egypt. 
And he enters into a covenant with them, a, a, a marriage, essentially, with these people. And he gives them the law, and he, and, and he gives them the promised land. And he says, this is, he makes a people out of them, and a nation. All of that is undone. All of it. Right? God's people are now back in Egypt. It's, it's Babylon now, but it's the same idea. They lose their home. Their relationship with God is in shambles. If this isn't rock bottom, I don't know what is for these people. And much of Ezekiel's preaching, frankly, is about this low moment. Why it happened. Why did God allow it to happen? And frankly, Ezekiel, most of his preaching is about how deserved this moment is. If you were to read most of this book, it, it is really, really weird. There's, the imagery is incredibly graphic and disturbing at times. But mostly, it's just depressing. Until you get to chapter 37. So keep that mindset, okay? You're, you're Ezekiel. You're in exile. You've lost everything. You've lost your home. You've lost your friends. You've lost your family. You've, you've lost your temple. You've lost your worship. You don't even know if God's for you anymore. I mean, you hope that he is. You think that he is. But then you look at your life and you go, well, I, that's hard to square with my life right now. And then right then the Holy Spirit grabs you. Verse 1 of chapter 37, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. So you get Ezekiel, he's caught up in a vision, and what he sees is God shows him a valley full of bones. Not just covered with bones, like full to the brim with bones, is the idea. And, and, and you get this right away if you're Ezekiel. You see this image and you know right away what is God doing? He, he is saying, this is your life, Ezekiel. This is your people. This is your reality. It is a valley full of bones. Verse 2, and he led me around among them. It's like he's like holding God's hand and he's showing him all through these dry bones. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. Right, so you get close, Ezekiel gets close to the bones, and he says, these bones aren't just bones, they're very dry bones. These have been here for a long time. There's been no hope here, no rain here, no life here for a very long time. Very dry bones. And God asks you, verse 3, son of man, can these bones live? It's an incredible question. Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I've, I've studied this. I don't think God's asking about the bones. He's asking actually something more profound. And he's asking us the same thing. I think God's saying, Ezekiel, can something good happen here? Look at this. Look at this valley. Look at this hopeless place. Can I do something? Do you believe I can do something here or not? Do you hope in me or not? Can these bones live? And here's what I want us to see. Okay, whatever your background with the Spirit, this is what we're supposed to see. Okay, the Spirit gives hope to hopeless people. The Spirit gives hope to hopeless people. This is as hopeless a situation as it could possibly be. 
The Israelite people are a valley of dry, dead bones, but the Spirit is still working, and He is reminding us that there is still hope in Him, even in a valley of dry bones. In fact, that place may be where He does His best work. So ask yourself, what about now? Can <laughs> God's looking at you and me, and He's saying, can these bones live? Okay, in our hopelessness, in an earthquake in Haiti, can these bones live? Can I do something here? In these horrible images we're seeing in Afghanistan, can I do something here? Can these bones live? In a, in a struggling or failing marriage in your own life, or a difficult school year, or a devastating diagnosis, or a child, a hurting child who won't let you help them anymore, whatever, can these bones live? Here's what I want to point out to you. If you're hopeless about something today, okay, I have good news for you. The Spirit gives hope to hopeless people. He gives hope. It's what He's always done. And it may not look like immediate relief. It didn't look like that for Ezekiel. But He does give hope. And God's reminding Ezekiel, He's reminding us, He's showing us the worst life can throw at us. And He's saying, these bones can live. I can do it. And here's how. Look back at verse 4. Then God said to me, prophesy over these bones. Okay? Talk to them. Preach at these dead bones. And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath. If you are here last week, that's the Hebrew ruach. It's the same Hebrew word for spirit and breath. Thus says the Lord God, right? Behold, I will cause breath, I will cause spirit to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and to cover you with skin and to put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel, he obeys. He starts preaching to these dry bones, and it's like a, it's like a horror movie because they start moving. And they're like magnetized to each other and they start coming together. And then over those bones are, are, are sinews and tendons, start rubber banding them together and then muscles over that. And then finally skin over that. And Ezekiel looks, there's a massive army now standing in front of him. But Ezekiel says this at the end of verse 8, but there was no breath in them. They look alive, but they're dead. They're still dead. Now, if you were here last week, this whole scene should sound very familiar to you because we talked about Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God makes uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What Ezekiel sees here is like the creation story in the garden, but on steroids. Now it's a whole people. But this time, God is not so much dealing with a physically lifeless body that needs breath, like the first Adam. He's dealing with spiritually dead people. A sinful, disobedient, broken, humiliated people. Incapable of saving themselves. These dead bodies, these bones are spiritually dead to God. That's why they're in this mess in the first place. Now, if you were to read the entire Old Testament right now, you would see a thread, 
a theme that pulls all of it together from start to finish and in many ways culminates here. You see it in Abraham, you see it in Moses, you see it in David, you see the prophets, you see it in the wisdom literature and the Psalms, right? Just every genre of the Old Testament, you can imagine it is there. And here's what it is. God's people never, ever, ever have a heart that is holy for him. Never. Just before he dies, Moses, okay, this is a really important chapter in your Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 30, right before Moses dies, he says this to God's people. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Notice there, right? Two choices, like like two trees in a garden. Life and death. I put it before you. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today, you shall surely perish. What is this valley of dry bones? What are we looking at? Yes, this is Israel's hopeless situation, to be sure, but it is also the consequence of disobedience that God said would happen. Because their hearts, God's people, their heart, their inner being is the idea there. Their heart was never with Him. And their idolatry and their indifference to God and their hurting and oppressing of one another proves it. And for generations... God's people were walking around and they were talking and they were eating and they were laughing and they were working, but they were dead. There was no breath in them. That's the entire lesson of the Old Testament (laughs) summed up right here in Ezekiel 37. Dry bones, dead bodies, there is no life in them. That's why even earlier in Ezekiel, in chapter 36, just before this, God says through him, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my ruach, my spirit in you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. This promise of a new heart, it's in Isaiah, it's in Jeremiah, it is all over the prophets. The answer to the human problem. Our answer is not to make bad people into good people. That is not the lesson of the Old Testament. Or to make sinful people into obedient people. The lesson of the Old Testament is if these bones are going to live, we have to make dead people into living people. Dead people into living people. To take dead hearts and to make them live again, spirit-filled hearts of flesh. Not because of our power or strength or our moral fortitude. What Ezekiel sees is the inability of his people to bring themselves back from spiritual death. They can't do it. No amount of effort or rule following was going to do it. They need a miracle of God. It is only the Spirit breathing on them that will give them new life. 
So notice again, God is asking Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can I make these people into something they've never been? Can I give them a heart that loves me and will obey me and love one another? That's part of this question too. And the answer is yes, because the Spirit gives new life to dead people. That's what Ezekiel sees. He gives new life to dead people. The Spirit doesn't give advice to bad people. He gives new life to dead people. And most of you, I trust, recognize this as good news because you have seen that you're dead. Whether that's in your past or your present, right? You have seen you at your worst. You've seen the dry bones that you are capable of in your life. The death that you can bring. And you know that only a new life, only a new heart is going to save you. And this Holy Spirit message, right, is good news for you. But I got to pause and say there may be some of us today here where this is not good news for us. Because maybe you're here, not because you think you're a dead person. You're here because you want to be a better person. Or because it's the right thing to do. Or because it's how you were raised. And if you're here and you think that the Bible and this place and this gathering and this people, that our mission is to make bad people into good people or immoral people into moral people or uh, disorganized people into, into good, upstanding citizens in our culture. Listen, like I'm really glad that you're here, but that's not going to keep you here. And that's not actually what God is, is saying to you today. We have to see and understand ourselves in his question. Can these bones live? He's talking about you. Can these bones live? This is not self-help. The book of Ezekiel is not 30 steps from dry bones to your best life now. That is not his message. Like creation itself was a miracle that only God could do in the garden. Humanity did not, right? God is a pure gift. He made Adam and Eve. And he breathed life into them. Just like that. Ezekiel saying, just like that. So the new creation is a miracle of God that only he can do, that only the Spirit can do. But here's the thing. This vision of Ezekiel, this, this promise that he's given, it doesn't actually happen in Ezekiel's lifetime. In fact, even when God makes good on his promise, to bring his people back to Israel, which he does. What that generation learns is they're still waiting for this, for this new heart, for this new moment. You can read Ezra and Nehemiah and, the, and the, what's called the post-exilic prophets and they will tell you God's people are still dead. They, they still need this new heart. So flash forward hundreds of years from Ezekiel and everybody's still waiting on this promise this new heart, the Spirit's new creation. And hundreds of years later, on a, on, a, on a throwaway night in Jerusalem, in about A.D. 30, there's Rabbi Jesus, and he's talking to a religious leader in Jerusalem. Okay, Jesus is just getting started. He's not super popular yet. This is recorded for us in John chapter 3. Now, this guy, Nicodemus, is who he's talking to. He's a good guy. 
he, he obeys the best he can. He's got a good family. He's got an upright lifestyle. He knows his Old Testament. And he's seen Jesus, and he says, there's something about you, Jesus, that I can't explain. There's things you're doing that no one can do. And so he comes to him at night, and he asks him, who are you? And Jesus says this to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, it sounds like Ezekiel 36, doesn't it? He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The wind, pneuma, ruach, spirit, blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Notice all of this imagery that Jesus is using is pointing us back to Ezekiel. And that's part of why Jesus kind of looks at Nicodemus and says, you're a teacher of the law and you don't, you don't know this passage? <laughs> you remember? And so, you know, Nicodemus is reeling and he says, but how is this going to happen? And Jesus says in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus wants to know when is this going to happen and how is it going to happen? And Jesus says, if you want hope, from hopelessness, if you want life from death, if you want the Spirit to change your heart, you have to see me lifted up. Lifted up where? Lifted up on the cross. The crucifixion. Which is why Nicodemus won't show up again until the crucifixion in the book of John. If we want the Spirit's good news, we've got to see Jesus on the cross. This is the paradox that Nicodemus does not fully understand at first. And that perhaps even Ezekiel himself would have had trouble wrapping his mind around. Because part of God's answer, how can these bones live? How does a valley of dry, dead bones become an army ready to obey God and love one another? How does that happen? Well, the Spirit only comes to Jesus' people. He's the key. He's the key. Jesus must be lifted up on the cross. You, you have to see in him your exile from the presence of God. You must see in Jesus' cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your exile. You must see in his lowest moment our deepest valley. You have to see in his literal death, your spiritual death. You have to see him giving up his spirit, that's John 19.30, so that we might receive the spirit. Can these bones live? Jesus says, yes, but only if I die. And if you're here and you have seen the Son of Man lifted up, you have the spirit of God. And I want to remind you that no sense of hopelessness let no besetting sin or struggle in your life, no valley of dry bones can separate you from his love. That's the deal. But if you're here and you have not seen him, I can tell you this. The Spirit of God is good news for you. Whatever else he may be in your mind right now, he is good news for you because it's through him that you see the unstoppable love of God in Jesus Christ. Only then and only in him can these bones live.
Let's pray to him now. Father, for the gift of new life, in Jesus, through your spirit, we give you thanks. And I pray for those here now who do, who, who do not know you and for the people we know who do not know you. And our hearts ache for them, not because we want some morality or rules for them, but we want them to have new life that we found. The Holy Spirit, breathe on them. Breathe life into them. Use your people as you will. Send us out even today as your spirit-filled people proclaiming new life in Jesus Christ. Our bones have lived. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.